1: June 10th, 2022. This is Shannon, and tonight I'm here with Natalia, Stacy, and Brooke, and we are talking about books featuring food. I think we originally had said food or beverages, but I don't think we have any beverages. Um, no, I think they're all food. So, food books. Um, we did an episode like this last year, and had a lot of fun. So we are revisiting it. We are going to get started with the usual housekeeping information. Then Stacy will start us off, followed by me, Brooke, and lastly, Natalia. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that
0: So it always makes me gloriously happy when I discover a new author who has a large backlist. And that's just what happened when I finally, finally picked up Battle Royal by Lucy Parker. Ah, yes. Yes. And I've been, you know, her books have been recommended to me for a long time. She has a whole like series that takes place in the theater and it just looks like she has some fun stuff. But for whatever reason, I have not picked up her books until now. So this book is about Sylvie Fairchild. And Sylvie is a baker in London. And four years ago, she was a contestant on a show called Operation Cake. And she was doing quite well, except there was one judge who was very uptight. Um, I'm picturing kind of like a Simon Cowell, but cuter. Um, (laughs) And he was very uptight about her... Um, desire to have a lot of like uh, glittery confections and lots of sort of flashy, sort of artistic cake designs and different things. And one of her, one of her recipes goes horribly, terribly awry, and he immediately makes sure that she is kicked off the show. Sylvie mm-hmm. of the pink and lavender hair and bright, sunshiny personality. Now it's been four years, and because of the the fame that she garnered from being on Operation Cake, it gave her the ability to open her bakery finally, which she calls Sugar Fair. And Sugar Fair is directly across the road from the judge's bakery, Mr. (laughs) Dominic DeVere. And his bakery is just called DeVere's. Uh And he does very sort of um, beautiful, very traditional, um, elegant cakes, mostly white cakes. Sometimes he might do some chocolate with like sugar lace that might be like the height of his um, sort of, you know, going off of his very dignified, classy way of doing cakes. But now here is no sparkles. But no, oh God, no sparkles for Dominic Devere. Oh, <laughs> sparkles. And now, four years later, Sugar Fair and Devere's um, have a little bit of a competition going on to see kind of who can, you know, get more customers, who's the most popular of the two bakeries. And then a new competition arises for you see, Princess Rose who is not really a real princess in the real world, but in this London, Princess Rose, who's like fourth in line to the throne, is getting married. And she is young and a little edgy, especially for kind of the royals. And she is a huge fan of Sylvie's bright, joyous cakes, whilst the palace would prefer that (coughs) they use Devere's for obvious reasons, because actually Dominic's grandfather used to bake for the palace back in his day. Well, now there's a competition to see which design will be chosen by the palace for the princess's upcoming nuptials. And in addition to this, in addition to this, Sylvie, after four years, has been invited to be a judge on Operation Cake. So Sylvie and Dominic are suddenly thrown together multiple times in various venues because of their professional baking lives. And they begin to learn things about each other that may not have been apparent on first impression. So this book was delightful. I loved the descriptions of Sylvie's glitter bomb of a bakery with, um, she does some really interesting artistic stuff with sugar. She almost, um, does some things with sugar, like blowing glass, but it's sugar and, um, sculptures made out of sugar. And she's just a very, you know, bright, colorful, joyous person. And then you walk down the basement of her bakery into this very fabulous bar that she has called the dark forest. And she's also a mixologist. So using all of the different syrups and alcohols and different sugary things at her disposal, she teaches mixology classes in the dark forest in the evenings. So I really would love to go to Sugar Fair and like live there forever because it sounds like a really great place to go. Whereas across the street in De Vere's, it's very elegant and classy and monochromatic and you know white and um, um, just very very classy and very different from the color explosion that is sugar fair. And somehow these two rivals learn how to work together and sort of, like I said, learn that there's more to both of them than what is on the surface. This book is delightful. It's wonderful. Um, if you enjoy reading about cakes and decorating cakes and desserts and, um, alcoholic drinks that include amazing interesting things and Mm. if you enjoy reading like the grumpy sunshine dynamic which is like one of my favorite things and enemies to lovers this book is for you it's my first lucy parker book but will very much not be the last so this again is battle royal and it's palace insiders book one and it is by lucy parker i am definitely
2: adding this one to my it's It's so good. I have this
1: one and I have Act Like It, uh, which is the first in her London celebrity series um, set in the theater.
2: She sounds like an author that I'm going to be interested in. Yeah, she kind of reminds me of um,
0: Jenny Colgan with more sexy times and a little bit more focus on the romance. Ah, Um,
1: okay. So it's June and Pride Month and so my first book plays very nicely into like adding things to your pride TBR list as well as being a delightful foodie romance set against the backdrop of a cooking competition oh. reality show yes yes i can't so wait for you to have,
0: talk about this sorry we have
1: <laughs> love and other disasters This is the debut novel by Anita Kelly. It came out in January of this year, and I loved it so incredibly much. So this is the story. It is so, so good. So this is the story of London, and London is non-binary. They have recently kind of come out to their family and have talked a lot to the people in their lives about their pronouns and kind of how it feels to not quite feel right as a woman, but also not really wanting to transition to being a man. So London has decided that she is going to end up on this show. Um, It is called Chef Special and London has been cooking for quite a while and is, you know, in, in a lot of ways, like very, very skilled at what they do. London has an identical twin sister who is one of their biggest supports. And so it's really hard for London to kind of go, you know, they, they come from Nashville, um, kind of from like the bosom of this very successful family. And so now they are on their own in LA and they're, you know, kind of feeling a little adrift. On the first day of filming for the show, this woman kind of barrels into them and she is just like a, a bundle of nerves. And she's rambling on and on about how when she was in fourth grade, she was in a spelling bee and she didn't spell <laughs> whistle correctly. <laughs> oh my God. And London is just kind of looking at this person, like what, wow, like what's, what, what happened to you? And then the woman just sort of disappears. Like she's very socially awkward and she just kind of like disappears into the, into the building. And London's just like, wow, you know what happened? Dahlia Woodson is that woman who just sort of barreled in to London. She is recently divorced and trying to find her feet again. She feels like she kind of lost herself in her marriage. Um, Her husband was very successful, very business oriented, and he expected Dahlia to play a very specific role in his life. And Dahlia just never really felt like she could do that. Um, Now that she's divorced, she has decided that she really wants to explore her passion for cooking. And unlike a lot of the people on Chef's Special, she is a self-taught cook. So she feels a little bit disadvantaged coming into a reality show like this, where people who have been cooking for years and years are here to showcase their talent. And she has learned from trial and error and YouTube videos. So she is right in front of London, as far as their um, their cooking stations. And so the two of them eventually form a friendship that develops into something more as the competition goes on. However, it is very difficult for London being out as non-binary on the show Um, People, Most of the contestants are pretty cool with it, but there are some that have kind of nasty things to say. And this has, unfortunately, leaked through into the audience. And so there's a lot of like online commentary that isn't great. And so Dahlia is feeling kind of torn because she has a lot of feelings for London. But she also knows that if she kind of steps out on that limb with them, like, it can possibly have a negative effect on her own, like, chances on the show. So this is kind of a coming into your own story. Both London and Dahlia are trying to figure out, like, who they are in a world that doesn't necessarily want to accept either one of them for, for who they are, like, for different reasons. But it's also... A story of two people coming together kind of despite the odds and really giving in to their feelings for one another despite things that could stand in their way. I think it does this particular thing so well. Um, Anita Kelly brings both characters to life very nicely. You feel like you can identify with both of them. You understand the conflict that both of them are facing Um, And you can also like take a step back and see when one or the other of them is acting sort of irrationally. And you, you can understand how that happened, but you can also understand like why it it shouldn't have. Um, It is just a delightful book. Lots of descriptions of cooking, great food, like everything from delicious seafood to Mm. mouth watering desserts. Um, I just, I loved everything about this. She has another book that's either coming out like toward the end of the year or the beginning of 2023. And I am super excited for it. So, this is Love and Other Disasters, and it's by Anita Kelly.
2: So, my first book tonight is Kiss My Cupcake by (laughs) Helena Hunting. And honestly, the title is the first reason why I picked this book. I don't normally read um, contemporary romance, but this one is a rom com, and also that title—it's had to read it. So our main character's name is Blair. Um, Blair is opening a cupcake and like a cupcake and cocktails place. Ooh. Um, she has everything planned down to a t um she has all of the instagram worthy shots already planned out she has everything like set up in her shop the way she wants it but she did not plan on ronin having a bar next door oh. ronin is like the complete opposite he's very um he's wearing like plaid shirts And he's got, he's serving like oily snacks and beer. And what's really tough, he's also making axe throwing available. And you wanna know, yeah, and you wanna know where this axe throwing is going to take place? Right against the wall of Blair's shop. I don't think so, drunk people should be throwing axes. I know, eh? So <laughs> well, at one point, I guess they were doing some axe throwing, and all of a sudden, like, she has all these, I think they were, like, shot glasses or, like, these fancy <gasps> little glasses, and they, like, all, like, flew off the wall and smashed. So you can imagine how oh. it's like she got. So she's not really very happy, with Mr. Ronan and to make things worse for them there is a competition that they are both involved in and where they could win a whole bunch of money in order to like help them fix up their shops and stuff so they're both being just starting they are really really wanting this money so they start like working and they're like kind of going against each other like she'll throw a Let's do some frosting, like, lessons, and as I said, he'll be doing axe-throwing. She'll offer, like, cutesy cupcakes and adorable, like, jello shots, and he'll offer a poker night. So, (laughs) they're really, really just not getting along, but then something happens on their street like somebody comes in and wants to buy up some of the stores and it's going to cause both of them a lot of trouble so they team up so they decide that they're going to like throw say like every other friday one of them will host so like they'll together they might host something at the cupcakes and cocktails shop and oh. then the next week they'll do like a team like where they do it at the like the bar so it's really neat to watch them kind of come up with these ideas and then also as you can guess there's a little bit of romance kindling as oh, yes. we go along so if you want to see what happens you will have to read kiss my cupcake by helena hunting
1: I'm still, like, having trouble with the axes. Right. I am, too. Um, (laughs) I just don't know.
2: Well, a lot of bars do. I know, like, a lot of old bars. I don't know if they still do. But I remember, like, a lot of old bars used to have, like, dart boards. So you can imagine people playing darts and being drunk. So I can only imagine how bad it's going to be if you add in an axe.
3: I
1: just don't know. Axes. Like, drunk people and axes.
2: Sounds a little... (laughs)
3: Perilous, Uh,
0: concerning.
3: So, my first book today is going to be How to Bake a Perfect Life by Barbara O'Neill. Because I feel like a lot of us associate food with our mothers. And what is better than reading about mother daughter relationships and how complex they can be? and food, at least that's something that I enjoy. I really, really enjoy uh, personally analyzing how mothers and daughters get along and sisters too. But in this particular one, this is all about mothers and daughters. And everybody who has read Barbara O'Neill knows that she writes books that are so food heavy, but in the best way. And in this particular book, we're talking about homemade bread and a professional baker. Now, I'm not much on like, uh, I don't eat many sweets, but I love reading about the process and everything to do with um, the people who do bake sweets and how passionate they are about it. So I really enjoyed this. So this is about a professional baker, Ramona Gallagher, and she's a master of this art. And she feels that baking has really saved her whole life she had a baby when she was 15 um she had a really endless family feud understandably because of this and other things that i will not spoil but now her bakery is threatening to crumble around her literally like uh the bakery is this rambling victorian place that she inherited from her grandmother and she she has put everything in her life to work towards building this, but it's 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 rambling, it's crumbling. And those of you who know about Victorians and old houses, they're gorgeous, but they're really costly to fix and to maintain. And then um, something even worse happens. Uh, Ramona's soldier son is wounded in Afghanistan. Son in law, sorry, and her uh, her daughter rushes to be by his side you know overseas and leaving her mother Ramona as the only suitable guardian for Sophia's 13 year old stepdaughter Katie (laughs) and of course Katie is heartbroken and she feels like she's being dumped again this time uh, and on the doorstep of a woman who is out of practice with mothering now How you get out of practice with mothering, I don't know. I think we're going to have to just read the book. But uh, Ramona relies on a special set of tools, which include patience, persistence, and of course, the reliability of a very good recipe, which always, always works. There's nothing like good bread in life. And as she relives her own history of very difficult choices, she shares her love of baking with a troubled girl. And Katie begins to find self-acceptance and a place to come home. And when a man from her past returns to offer a second chance at love, too, Ramona discovers that even the best recipe tastes better when you add time, care, and a few secret ingredients of your own, like love. So this is How to Bake a Perfect Life by Barbara O'Neill. And just the title made me want to read this book because that is so cool. Barbara O'Neill is amazing
1: in, like, every possible way
3: so I was
0: really happy that we did an episode about foodie books this week because a book just came out on Tuesday that I've been excited to read thanks Shannon and um I I grabbed it up on release day and I did not regret it at all it's a new to me author so this book is a proposal they can't refuse by Natalie Kanya and I'm sorry if I said the last name incorrectly And this book is about Camila and she is almost 30 years old. She's been working or she might be just, yeah, she's almost 30. And she's been working in her family's Puerto Rican restaurant for all of her adult life. And the book opens with her uh, rushing into an office to ask what someone has done wrong now. And so I sort of, at the beginning, I was like, okay, is she talking like about a child? Like, is she at school? No. She was at a retirement facility where her grandfather and his best friend had gotten in trouble for breaking rules. Again, they switched out the decaf for um, full caffeine coffee, which caused an issue for some of the residents. And so they keep getting... They keep getting yelled at. And I'm like, already have a, a case of the church higgles, like reading this, like cracking up going, oh my God, she's like in this like <sighs> retirement facility. Like, and these <laughs> octogenarians are getting yelled at like by like the the director for like causing mischief. And then, so right away I was like, okay, I like these grandpas, both of them. And um, they've been best friends since college. And so, you know, she's trying to tell them like, look, you, you can't, you can't like keep staging all these rebellions like you chose to live here so now (laughs) that you're here you have to play by the rules and she's all like you know trying to do that and she knows she's going to be late to work at the family restaurant that day well then just as she's getting a full head of steam built up about this in walks Liam who is the grandson of her grandfather's best friend and Camila and Liam were best friends as children until something happened and now basically they're enemies. Oh. And which is a little awkward because the families are together all the time for different family functions and the family restaurant, the Puerto Rican restaurant that Camila's family owns, shares space in the building with Liam and his grandfather's Irish whiskey distillery. So obviously they're in pretty close quarters most of the time. Well, later then Liam's grandfather drops quite the bomb on Liam when he informs him that he has stage four cancer and he is not going to seek treatment for his cancer. But before he goes, he wants to see Liam married. And so he would like Liam to marry Camilla. And the grandfathers have decided that if this does not happen, they're going to sell the building. And so both families will lose their businesses. Oh, Oh. (laughs) as, as octogenarians think they can do just sort of like, you know, play chess with people's lives. Apparently. Yeah. And so Liam and Camilla decide after some foot stomping and hair pulling of like stress and frustration that they're going to beat these grandpas at their own game they're going to (laughs) enter into a fake engagement until after both camila has had her restaurant um in the fall food festival and liam wins a whiskey contest that he has entered um that showcases whiskey that his father made 20 years ago so they have these like you know, ulterior motives for being in this, in this sort of situation, they're going to just kind of pretend for the families and just kind of get through it. And they're going to beat them at their own gate. But as the fake engagement continues, obviously feelings begin to surface and they both begin to remember what made them friends so long ago. In addition to this, There's a lot of sort of family expectations that have to be sort of discussed. Um, There's secrets that have been kept that have caused pain and will cause pain until they are shared. And there are two people who have to learn that, you know, despite all of the chaos, love and a true relationship is worth all of the stress and anxiety and fear that, that crazy emotion can, or that big emotion can, you know, make people feel this book. I really, really loved. Um, I, I wish we'd had more in-depth descriptions of the Puerto Rican food because I love Puerto Rican food and I wanted to hear like some of the savory recipes that she made. Um, And, you know, but what I did really love is the descriptions of the whiskey and the different types of whiskey and how then it was used in cooking in addition to what it tasted like um, when it was being tasted. Um, I know that sounded kind of redundant, what it tasted like when it was being tasted, but during tastings they would describe the different whiskey profiles and I found that fascinating. And there was some discussion of the distillery process, distilling process for whiskey. So this book um, was a delight from start to finish. I love enemies to lovers, which is obvious because I've now talked about two of them. I just, I love books that talk <laughs> about food. I love ethnic food books. I love books that talk about um, bars and whiskey and all of those things. And this book went surprisingly deep. You think it's going to be this frothy little rom-com. And it, while it has some delightful moments and the grandfathers are lovely and funny and all of that, it's a lot about different issues that can come up in a family and different Secrets and you know different sort of expectations that families have that might actually be hurting the person that those expectations are placed on. So it went way deeper than I was anticipating. So if you want to read a really delightful book by, um, I believe this is a debut novel. If. I um, definitely pick up a proposal they can't refuse by Natalie Kanya. It is absolutely delightful. You have sold
2: this book. I am going to be adding it to my TBR. I'm so glad. And you're on hold for it,
1: Shannon? I am. I put myself on hold for it a couple weeks ago, like before it actually came out. So it should be um, finding its way to me pretty soon. So my next book is also about familial expectations and family rivalries and delicious food. This is Raymond and Julieta, Love and Tacos, book one by Alana Quintana Albertson. Um, I talked about this before on the podcast when we did an Enemies to Lovers episode, but I could not pass it up for food because the whole time I was reading this, all I wanted were tacos. In fact, I told my partner that we actually had to order um, Mexican food while I was reading this because I needed I just needed to eat tacos. (laughs) So, A long time ago, um, like way before our story begins, there was a woman in Mexico who had come up with a delicious fish taco recipe. And she was pretty sure like that this recipe would kind of put her on the map one day. But someone stole it, a man that she was involved with. He stole it. And he went across the border to the United States and for himself and his family, he created a fast food taco empire (gasps) based on, like it started with this woman's fish taco recipe. Jerk. Yes. So this is like all very important to bear in mind as I tell you the story of Ramon and Julieta. So Ramon is the son of the taco king, who is the man who stole the fish taco recipe, although he doesn't know that like Ramon thinks that his father, you know, found this recipe like in an honorable way and he does not know that someone else developed it and that the woman who developed it, you know, had like dreams of her own to use this recipe to support her own family. So he is one of these kind of like type A men, you know, everything has to be a certain way. He's very like narrow-minded in his focus. And he's always like meeting all of his father's expectations. He's like just the the perfect son. But as he's doing all these things that his father really approves of, he's also like there's a part of him that's feeling kind of like chafed and and confined. And so When he gets a free moment, he plays in a mariachi band and, you know, kind of tries to find like ways that he can carve time out for himself. So this novel is set around the Day of the Dead, which has always been something that fascinates me. Um, As someone who is not Christian, I celebrate Samhain around the Halloween time, which is the... Um, The time when the veil between the living and the dead is thinnest, And I find this sort of um, veneration day that Day of the Dead is for the ancestors of uh, Latinx people just to be super fascinating. And I was so glad that she chose to set the book kind of around this time. So Ramon is heading out to a Day of the Dead celebration, and he wants this to be like a work free time. But his father says, oh, no, 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 no. You have to go and talk to the mayor because you see, he is getting ready to open up a new branch of his Taco King empire. And he needs to take over some space on a block in a specific neighborhood. And he needs the mayor to kind of okay this. So he wants Ramon to kind of be his emissary. Ramon doesn't really want to do this, but, you know, he knows that, before anything else, he's his father's son and he owes a certain like loyalty to his father. So he agrees to do this. So stepping away from him for a moment, I want to talk about Julieta, who is a cook in a very authentic like Mexican restaurant. She does not, you know, kind of fall into like the, the fast food thing. Her family has always made very authentic. Um, you know, very conscientiously authentic Mexican food. And she takes her time. It's not about how much money she can make. You know, although supporting her family, like has always been important, but she wants people to have that taste of, of her heritage in her food. Now, if you haven't guessed, Julieta's mother is the woman who originally created the fish taco recipe that I mentioned at the beginning of this description. And she has always told Julieta that, you know, this recipe was stolen. Like, this is a a big problem. So these two meet at the Day of the Dead celebration. They're masked, not because of COVID, but because of the (laughs) Day of the Dead celebration. They're, like, in costume and and masked. And so they don't really know each other. Um, And they have kind of a, a one-night stand, or at least they plan to. But when Julieta goes back to Ramon's house, she sees a picture of his father. And suddenly she knows that this is the family that basically has sabotaged her own family. And now she does not know what to do because she's wildly attracted to Ramon. But how can she be when his family has has hurt hers like in such a, a terrible way. Things heat up when people begin to protest the new branch of Taco King and the way that it's kind of taking over this traditional Latinx neighborhood. Um, so this has a little bit of like a, a social justice flair because you know they don't want kind of the big like fast food business coming in and taking away all of the sort of, you know, smaller like family-owned businesses. Not that the fast food thing isn't a family-owned business, but it's like huge and corporate. And a lot of people aren't fans of that. So this is like an enemies to lovers book. It's a book about, like I said, family rivalry. It has so many great descriptions of Mexican food. Um, it is a kind of retelling of Romeo and Juliet as well, um, in case like you didn't gather that from the names. It is just a delightful foodie book. So this is Ramon and Julieta, Love and Tacos, book one by Alana Quintana Albertson. The second book, which is also a Shakespeare retelling, uh, will be coming out, I think, in the fall.
0: You told me about this book or I, during the enemies to lovers episode, I put it on my TBR yeah. and I haven't read it yet. And I need to read it when I'm not hungry because I do very much love all things taco related. Um, but I have to move it up a bit on my TBR. Cause this looks so good. And I thought about, I thought it would look good. I don't know. It months ago so when you talked about it. Yeah.
2: So my next book is, A Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking by T. Kingfisher. I love hers. (laughs) So this is actually my first book that I've ever read of hers, and if her other books are like this, I will definitely be finding more. So our main character's name is Mona. Um, She is a little bit magic. So there aren't a lot of magic people left um, in her area. And everyone kind of has, like, that does have magic, has just a little bit. Like, so one of her friends is able to heat up something. So if they have, like, a, their coffee got cold or whatever, they could heat it up for themselves. Oh. Um, Mona herself, um, her special talent is she can make gingerbread men dance. Or she can also make bread that's a little bit, like, not quite fluffy enough. Well, she can make it more fluffy. So, so like, she, she could go to, like, in... day-old
1: bread stores, I guess, and, like...
2: Yeah, and make it, kinda... as long as a little bit, like, it can't be horrible, horrible. Like, it can't be, like, crouton crunchy. But well, no. But she could definitely bring it back if it's a little bit dry. So Mona works in her aunt and uncle's bakery. Um, sorry aunt tabitha and you would think that life would be pretty chill working in such an in such a place but poor 14 year old mona comes across a dead body in the kitchen um so
1: your men got mad
2: <laughs> so she's kind of like shocked she's like what the so she, cause she, she she's really funny she turned around and then she turns back to like, get still there and then she realizes that she needs like she needs help because she doesn't have anything to call anybody so she needs to go to her aunt and uncle who are up the stairs like on the other side of this dead body So she really, like, is hilariously trying to get over this body. And she's like, come on. Like, I always do this walk all the time. I can do it in my sleep. Like, what? Like, I just have to hop over this person and I'll be fine. So she finally gets herself. Her aunt calls the authorities. Um, And then the Inquisitor discovers that Mona is a little bit magic and decides to take her to the palace to be judged. so he's thinking that she did this because well i guess he has something against magic people so she goes to the castle um the, the palace and she gets to meet like the duchess and her like right hand man and then also some other people and she's sitting there like she's terrified she's 14 years old she's never been like in trouble and she really tries to like live under the radar because she doesn't want to get caught because a lot of things happen to magic people right so she's like shaken in her boots um but after some discussions the d- duchess decides that the inquisitor kind of jumped the gun and so lets mona go so the palace is kind of like in the middle of nowhere but the guards just like put her outside the door and say like hey, can you leave now so it takes her like three hours or something to get close to home. Um, and she. it was kind of neat to see these little communities that she was walking through where you meet other people that are magic. So there's this woman, her name is Necro Molly or something like that. Because she's a necromancer. And when Molly comes up to Mona, she's riding a like skeletal horse.
1: Oh, like in uh, the Shannon Mare
2: series. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. So yeah, so they, Molly being really protective of Mona helps like walk back to the rest, like walk the rest of the way to their back to her aunt's um, bakery. So they get back. And so she's chatting away with Molly and she's learning stuff. And then a few days later, she realizes that there's things happening to magical people because a lot of people are going missing and she doesn't know like she kind of starts looking into it she realizes that there's an there's an assassin that's taking out magic people so one thing with this book it's a lot about like someone who doesn't want to be special or doesn't want to be the hero having to step up and be that hero that they don't really want because they just kind of want to just live their own life, but they kind of step up and do that. So I really loved this book. Um, As I said, she is able to animate um, her gingerbread men. Um, She's able to do some things, some really cool things with other baked goods. And I just thought it was was a cute book, but also I was, I loved the lesson. Because sometimes, even if we want to kind of like stay back and just be ourselves, sometimes we got to step out and kind of stick up for others. And that's kind of what Mona has to do. So this is A Wizard's Guide to Defensive Baking. And it's by T. Kingfisher.
1: She has written a ton of books and I've never read any of them.
3: So the next book I'm going to talk about is the first book in a series, and this is a cozy mystery series. I know cozy mysteries are not for everyone, but man, I really like them, and I really like cozy mysteries that have to do with food. And and, you know, there were a couple food or coffee. There were or a couple of cozy mystery series that I have read that have had to do with food or coffee. So it was very difficult to choose, but I really wanted to talk about these because it's, it's kind of like the coolest one that I follow. um Very, I guess, religiously. This mystery series is called the white house chef mystery series. And I just feel like it's so cool to read about a chef that works in the white house and all the recipes and all the cool stuff. Plus, the really amazing mysteries that surround the presidents that still manage to be very serious and very cozy at the same time. So this book is called State of the Onion by um, Julie Heisey. What I also love about this history, sorry, about this series is that the titles are just so governmental and foodie. <laughs> yes at the same time state of the onion Onion and you know a couple others that i don't have right in front of me that i i could revisit but this is about the white house assistant chef olivia paris who is rising and sleuthing to the top Uh, (laughs) And this, these books really do include recipes for a complete presidential menu. Oh, my God. They sound so scrumptious. I, I When I read these books, I just wish that I could, you know, summon. I could be like, the, you know, the guy from that library series where he can just um, bring out whatever is in a book.
0: Oh, yes.
3: Yeah. I, I wish I could be that and just eat some of this stuff. It's amazing. So a little Olivia Pryor has a motto, and it's never let them see you sweat, which is pretty hard to do when you're a chef because, like, that's basically your life. Uh, and you're always sweating. But since she's working in the most important kitchen in the world and in the country, um, you know, it's something she's got to do. And she's hell bent on holding her dream job. What is her dream job? As you can imagine, it's to be the executive chef of the White House. Except there's just one thing her nemesis is vying for it, too. And there's that and also the fact that an elusive assassin wants to see her fry literally oh. so um we don't know who the assassin is we don't know what happens but this is basically a book where you know she's trying to she, there's a lot of times where somebody's trying to kill her and there are mysteries surrounding the president nothing that i can say without majorly majorly spoiling but it's a really good story arc and I, I very much appreciate everything about it I've never predicted any of the mysteries yet which is good because I love you know Shannon and I we really love thrillers love mysteries we read a lot of them so when I can find one where I, it keeps me guessing all throughout. I'm all for it. So this is the White House Chef Cozy Mysteries by Julie Heisey. The first book is called State of the Onion. How
1: many of these are there? Do you know?
3: I don't know. Last I read one, there was like 10. Okay. She's also writing like the Manor House Mysteries. Those are good too. But like, like these titles are great. You know, Hail to the Chef, oh, yes. um, Home of the Braised. I mean, I can't with these titles. There are so many
1: good, like cozy mystery titles that have like really great puns in them.
0: My final book of the evening, I really struggled with because I had to, I had to get over the fact that I can't keep talking about the same two books over and over again. Because (laughs) I've talked about Tiff Marcello (laughs) like 5,000 times, so I couldn't talk about that. And any chance I get, I talk about Accidentally Engaged by Farah Heron. So I couldn't talk about that. I'm like, oh, what am I going to talk I know. And her food is like, her food descriptions are just like so sexy. And
1: I, wanted I almost did that the shy factor for this. I know. Then I figured there wasn't enough of like the, the restaurant, like wasn't a big enough, um, like part of the plot. So part I didn't do it. Well, so for my third book,
0: I was like, well, what can I talk about that feels just a little bit different than what I've read so far. So I decided to talk about The Lady Gets Lucky and it's Fifth Avenue Rebels book two by Joanna Shoup. This book, I know. I love Joanna Shoup so much. And this book is about Alice Lusk and Alice, Alice, Alice. Alice (laughs) is a very quiet, shy young woman who is very much under the thumb of her Domineering and dare I say it, bitchy mother. Oh. And so the beginning, they're at a house party, which is never my favorite in historical romance. But you know, you do what you must. And so I like house party. I know you do. I just, it's almost like me too. With, it's almost like ballrooms with potted palms for me. Ugh. But anyway, mm, no, no. I digress. So Alice and her mother are at this house party, and. While she is there, she is told by another young woman at the party that Mr. Christopher Ward, who goes by Kit, is someone who um, basically knows all the ways of flirting. That he's basically this rogue that she's to stay away from because he can basically flirt anyone into you know forgetting how to be a good girl and, and to become more of a like a mix <laughs> and. Alice kind of likes this idea because she is so... This is, this is her second season now in New York. She's from Boston. And every year she comes to New York. She stays in a hotel. And she, you know, stays there. And, and her mother is just dreadfully terrible to her. And all Alice wants is to marry for love. She doesn't want to marry someone who's just going to marry her because she has this ridiculously huge fortune. She doesn't want to be bought. And so Fair she enough. decides... Yeah, and so she decides she's going to approach Mr. Kit Ward, um, rogue extraordinaire, and she's going to ask him if he would give her some flirting lessons so that she can learn how to attract a man to her. Because, oh my God, the thought of like another season with her domineering mother is making her just all aflutter. She can't do it. Well, Kit, meets Alice and is immediately drawn to her quiet beauty, but very fierce spirit. And he at first tells her that, you know, no, he's not going to teach her how to flirt because, you know, he would ruin her reputation. And basically in his mind, he thinks he's not good enough for a woman like her. But then the next day, as they are talking at one of the interminable games that was that the organizers of the House party have, you know uh, put together for them. Alice finds out that Kit is opening a supper club with a friend back in New York City, and he's hoping to get a specific chef to, if nothing else, share some of his recipes with, with the restaurant, with the supper club. Well, Alice, who secretly loves nothing more than cooking and baking knows this chef very well because he used to cook for her family before moving to this hotel in New York City where she stays. And so when she can sneak away from her mother, she goes to his kitchen and he's taught her all he knows and all of his recipes. So once she gets permission from the chef to um, purchase some of his recipes, that Kit can purchase some of them, they share lessons. So she gives him recipes and he teaches her the ways to a man's heart, how to flirt, how to be more attractive to gentlemen. Well, as is so often the case in historical romances with this setup, as he's teaching her how to flirt and how to be you know, more sparkling to a man and how to get to catch a man's eye, he is falling for Miss Alice Lusk because she is everything kind and big hearted and warm and just all the things and and just very, uh, a quick study. And oh my God, the way she flirts is like nothing he's ever seen once he's taught her how to do it. But they decide that, you know, at the end of the house party, so will also end their sort of friendship because back in New York City, you know, the the two of them really shouldn't cross paths if Alice wants to marry because it would be very scandalous for them to be together. Obviously, things never go according to plan. And back in the city, there's an issue with um, the supper club, and that is that he cannot get a chef to um, recreate the dishes that he has commissioned for the sort of soft opening that he has planned for 50 influential men. Oh, dear. Well, he is able to convince Miss Alice Lusk to sneak away from the hotel for three days. To help him cook all of the dishes, (laughs) right, for this Supper Club event. And as they cook together and continue their flirtation together, they both... Sparks begin to fly. Well, sparks continue to fly until, you know. (laughs) And um, so, you know, and, and they're both just so falling for each other and, you know, kind of wishing things could be different but both too afraid to figure out how to make a relationship work. I love this book a lot. It's it's a book about a young woman kind of coming into her own and learning how to see her own self-worth. It's about how she finds um, female friendships that helped kind of bolster her around her domineering mother. It's about teaching her that it is okay to go after what she wants and to fight for the dreams that are important for her. So I love all of those things. It's also about a man who on the surface seems to be very, um, just, you know, kind of a rogue and sort of like shallow and makes everyone happy. And, you know, that's sort of what he does, but beneath his surface, his kind of shallow surface, there are depths, incredible depths and some pain from his childhood um, and his family And the expectations that his father never had for him, which causes some um, sort of self esteem issues that you would not think he would have by looking at him. There's also some really interesting descriptions of food and sort of the restaurant scene in the end of the 19th century back in um, Gilded Age New York, where, you know, it's fine for women to be amazing cooks at home, but, you know, God, heaven forfend. A woman actually you know be the head of a grand kitchen at a restaurant or a hotel it's just not heard of so all of these things made it a really interesting read for me and what I really loved about it is it's about two people learning how to discover that they are enough as they are and that they can be loved for who they are and then there's some great cooking in it as well I love Joanna Shoup. If you have not read anything by her, please do. She is a historical romance author that, um, despite the fact that I don't read many historicals these days, I, I love her books and I love her stories, especially the ones that she has set in Gilded Age New York. So, this again is The Lady Gets Lucky, Fifth Avenue Rebels, Book Two. I think there's only- for this book. I think there's only
1: one series that she's written, which is her first one, which is like the, oh. Oh, yeah, but I haven't
0: read that one. Like the Harlot Countess or like the. Yeah,
1: and the courtesan something. Duchess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I haven't read those. Um,
1: I think those are the only ones that are set in England. I think the rest are all in New York. So my last book tonight is also a historical, although yes. it is set in kind of an alternate 1830s London. This is My Fine Fellow by Jenica Cohen. And I originally read this for our retellings episode. And yet, when we decided to do food, I knew that there couldn't really be a food episode without this particular book. So this is a gender-swapped reimagining of My Fair Lady and it has so many like awesome nods to the original but also does like some really nice fresh things with the story. So the setup is 1830s London. There are these people called culinarians who are women of like... Not necessarily like nobility, um, but not quite working class, like kind of upper class women, like of good families, but not necessarily with titles. And these women go to these like special schools to learn all kinds of things about the art of cooking. And instead of like celebrities, you know, like we have now, like actors and singers and all this the, the culinarians were sort of the the celebrities of the day.. Ooh. So the two female main characters are Penelope and Helena. And they are both culinarians kind of at like the top of their class, They're best friends. Helena is this very demanding, very focused, very skilled cook but she has a very hard time seeing things like outside of herself. Like her worldview is pretty much that the world revolves around her. Um, Her family doesn't really show her a lot of attention. They let her do whatever she wants, but they're not like present for her. Penelope is of Filipina heritage. She cooks, she wants to introduce like flavors from around the world to the people of England. She says like, it's fine to cook traditional English food but she thinks it's important for people to know that people in other parts of the world eat differently. And she wants people to embrace this like more than they do. They are entering kind of their their last year of schooling. They're like 17, 18 years old. And they are looking for a way to sort of like make a splash. Um, Penelope is working on this like flavor profile where she highlights different types of flavors from around the world and researches kind of how they came to be. Helena is looking for something a little different and she finds it in Elijah Little, who is a Jewish boy who is kind of a street vendor. Um, He doesn't have like the, the income or the training to actually open up a food stall. Plus, if you're Jewish in the 1830s, you can't have a food stall. It's just not allowed. So he walks the streets sort of peddling the food that he makes. He knows that with the right training and perhaps a little bit of dishonesty about his Um, upbringing, he could probably make something of his of himself, but he doesn't quite know how to do that. When he meets Penelope, and through her Helena, Helena decides that her project is going to be to turn what she sees as like a street urchin into a gentleman chef. And I have to tell you that Helena is not the easiest character to like, Um, she treats, she doesn't always treat people very well. She treats them as kind of like a means to an end. And this is very hard in ways for both Penelope, who is her best friend and for Elijah, who is kind of her eventual like unwilling student. Um, He knows that because Helena has these connections, you know, if she backs him and teaches him, he can achieve what he wants to achieve and he can, you know, kind of step beyond his station in life. Penelope and Elijah form a strong friendship that eventually blossoms into something more, but there's always a kind of Helena, like looming over them and Will she be upset if they're together? Like, will this feel like a betrayal to her? And then there's also Penelope's kind of need to assert herself and stop people from viewing her as kind of a second-class citizen because she's not white. Um, So there's a lot to unpack here. It is at its core, like a very fun, um, delightful romp through like all kinds of great food and these competitions to sort of show that Elijah is a gentleman chef. They end up uh, competing for a spot to cook for like the princess's um, royal wedding. And it's so you have a lot of the stuff that we love, like the you, know, you don't have reality shows exactly, but you have like these food competitions to pick like the next you know, royal chef Um, You have a little bit of like deception, people trying to show that Elijah is like this, you know, well-born gentleman chef when actually, as I said, he's a street vendor. Um, But then there are also some deeper themes here of race and class and what kind of things like English colonization has done to like the places that they've tried to colonize and how people are, are viewed. Um, it is a YA romance, like I said, a gender-swapped retelling of My Fair Lady. It is delightful in every way, but if you kind of look beneath the surface of the book, you see those deeper themes that I think are incredibly important. Um, this again is my fine fellow by Jenica Cohen. Um, her first book is like a retelling of Pride and Prejudice that I have not read yet, but want to.
0: This looks really good to me. I don't remember you talking about this for retellings, but I love everything My Fair Lady. So this ha- and and food. So this yes. definitely has to go on my list. Even though you know I have a bit of a thing about YA. This sounds like something I could definitely definitely get behind and, a, and
1: read and love like it's a historical ya so i think it yeah. lacks some of the things that you like often object to in ya okay
2: so my last book tonight is the chocolate maker's wife by karen brooks so this is a historical fiction it's set in mid 1600s in london So our main character's name is Rosamond. And she was born into a poverty situation. Um, Her family isn't well off at all. They run an inn. Um, It's not a very successful inn, but they do run it. Her stepfather and stepbrothers are not nice to her. Um, They don't treat her very well. And her mother really kind of is very dismissive. She doesn't really care much for her. So Rosamond is out on, she kind of takes off and she's out running and she's taken off and she's having a good day because she doesn't have to spend time with around her mom or her family that doesn't really care. And then her stepbrothers find her and they start chasing her and she knows that something is going to happen if they catch her. So as she's running, she comes across the road and she gets hit by a carriage. Oh. Sir Everhard and his driver are out for a drive, and he's kind of horrified because this young girl is just laying there and he's like worried that something is that maybe he killed her. So he gets out of his carriage and his driver and gets his driver to check her out. And she's she's good, she's okay, she's scraped up and whatever but they're noticing bruises on her arms and he realizes that she's got must have this really hard life. And he gets a closer look at her and he's like, Oh my God, you look like my daughter who has, who died. Oh. So he ends up taking her back to her inn because he wants to make sure she's okay and gets back. Okay. Cause he's worried about concussion. Um, and at the end, Um, her stepfather knows that this guy has to have a lot of money. So he gets all like pompous and showing off and kind of saying like, oh my God, I can't believe you're around my young daughter. And just kind of saying all these things. Well, her parents end up kind of working them in to burying her and taking her away and buying her pretty much like give us money and we'll give you give her to you so Ooh. he doesn't really want to leave her anyway because he knows that she's having a really horrible life so he agrees them to take her off and marry her and she gets back to his estate and he tells her that he's not really interested in a formal relationship um he just wants her to to kind of help her to have a good life what we don't know at this time anyway is that he has like a he's he has this revenge plan that he's going to use her as part of this revenge plan Oh, so as a as you can guess from the title he's a chocolate maker he owns a chocolate house. He's starting a chocolate house, which I thought was so cool. I want to go to a chocolate house. Um, so, at this chocolate house, it's for a men to come and to talk to other men. So, you get a lot of like the more rich people coming and chatting and just getting to know and see what's what. And what they're drink. they're drinking this like delicious chocolate. Ever heard? is running this chocolate shop and he's getting ready for like it to open so he has stolen well kind of like bribed away um a famous chocolatier from Spain so Rosamond is pretty excited about this because she's never had chocolate before and she wants to learn all about chocolate and she's heard about it but she's never had it so it's really cool. She goes to the shop with uh, Everhard, and she gets to talk to Philip. He, um, Phil. He's the chocolatier guy, and he is. He gives he, her this like chunk of like cocoa. And says, here, taste this. So she tastes it. She's like, oh, my God, this is crap. Like, I can't believe um, you made me eat this. Like, oh, my God, does somebody have something to wash my mouth out? I can't believe people pay to drink this to, like, eat this, right? And and so they're, like, laughing their asses off because they know that, well, you kind of got to add sugars. And, like, there's very few people that can actually eat it when it's that strong. So... Phil puts together another concoction. He adds sugar and adds all these different things to it and then gives it to her again. And she's so nervous about trying. She's like, oh my God, you guys already tricked me. I don't want to do this. This is so gross. But she does. And she just falls in love. So from that day on, she starts wanting to learn as much as she can about chocolate making. And as she does, she starts like making up these like Looking into different herbs and how they can help people, so like somebody's having a rough day, she might give them something that would give them a bit of an energy boost. so I thought it was really neat how she was using all these different herbs to help people with like day to day things so ever heart, hard, he ends up dying something happens. Ooh. And we learn more about his revenge plot. And then he ends up dying. He he wasn't a very healthy man. And before he died, he signed the chocolate shop over to his daughter's ex-fiance. I think he was fiance. And there's a whole reason behind that that I'm not going to explain because I'll give away stuff. But he knows that... Rosamund really really loves the chocolate shop and he sees like what kind of work she's put into it she sees like all the how the customers are all attached to her he just feels like it's a great it would be a really poor business choice to kind of push her away so he sets up an arrangement with her that she will manage the shop in any way that she wants. And he will continue doing his job, but she's actually a journalist. So he likes traveling around and getting to know all these different stories to be able to write articles and stuff. So he doesn't really want to have to worry about the chocolate shop. So he gives it off to her. What I like about this book is the way that she writes about London and that time about how the people like how women are treated, and how like she's trying to show that women are trying to push their way out like out of the shadows, but then it's kind of a struggle, and I love how she writes that we um we get to see how Rosamund and her fam- uh, like and her friends and her chosen family, like she ends up making kind of like a family out of some of her like workers and some of the different people that she meets along the way. So we get to meet her chosen family and how they deal with the plague. It was really interesting being that we all just are dealing with covid and stuff like that and how one of they get this letter to say that one of their workers has been come down with the plague. And so everyone's like looking at each other like oh my god, were you near him? Like, where was he? What did, who t- what did they touch? Blah, blah, blah. And I just remember thinking that when all, like, whenever I go into public, I'm always worried about this or that. And then you'll end up, like, find out a friend. Oh, is anyone COVID. sick? Yeah, and then you're like, oh my God, oh my God. So yeah, so I thought that was really interesting. Um, I love the description of how the whole chocolate making process and how different things could help people. I thought that was really cool. So this is The Chocolate Maker's Wife, and it's by Karen Brooks.
1: She has so many, like, long, sweeping historicals. Um, there's something, there's something of Bath that looks really oh, I good. Oh,
2: um, I think Amber read that lately.
1: I think she so. Read something
2: with Bath in it.
1: <laughs> and then, like, there's the Lady Brewer of London. There's... Um, <laughs> The, the
3: locksmith's daughter yeah so the last book of tonight is my favorite of all the ones I'm talking about so this is the book that you need to you know I, I don't know if you listen to us in your car or if you're you're working while listening to us tea, or what you're doing but you would not need to stop what you're doing you uh, go cool. get your tablet get your phone or go to your favorite bookstore and buy it or to the library because the library probably has it too so this is Sadie on a Plate by Amanda Elliott I don't know how many of you guys like to watch like uh cooking reality tv shows um I did especially I, I watched a lot of Gordon Ramsay on airplanes and I had a lot of fun <laughs> what was it Hell's Kitchen is that what it was called I think that is what it's called. Yeah. And oh my God, the best, you know, pork loin roast recipe. I got it from Gordon Ramsay. Um, I used to actually throw away the tips of the pork loins. So that was really helpful. And, and I just really like, I would never want to be in one of these contests, but I love watching it. So of course I'm going to love reading about it because I love reading books. It's my favorite thing to do ever. And this book is, you guessed it, about Sadie. (laughs) And she's a rising star in a trendy Seattle restaurant that's called Scene. She's got a really interesting dream where I've never actually heard about this um, personally. So it was really cool to read about something uh, unique too. She really wants to uh, create unique, modern, and mouth-watering takes on traditional Jewish Jewish recipes Because she feels like people don't see the Jewish recipes as, I guess, uh, classy. Now, I don't know where, you know, I'm not Jewish personally, but um, a lot of my friends are Jewish and people that I'm really close to and they have cooked for me. And God, Jewish food is, um, you know, such amazing food. I mean, I I would eat latkes every day if I knew how to make them, I promise. (laughs) So. The problem here with Sadie is that her boss is a famous chef and they were together and they had a very, very public breakup, which, you know, kind of messes up her career. She's sure that it's over forever and ever and ever. But she lands somehow a coveted spot on her favorite reality TV show for the next season. And it's, of course, a cooking show. And it's called Chef supreme now on the plane to new york sadie has sizzling chemistry with her seatmate who's luke but she tells them that she won't be able to contact him for uh the next six weeks. uh and they prolong their night with a magical spontaneous dinner before parting ways or so she thinks (laughs) then she turns up to the set for the tv show the next day and she meets a shocking Discovery about who Luke is. So not only does she have to try to save her career by winning Chef Supreme, but she has to ignore the simmering heat between her and Luke. But how long can she actually do that before the pot boils over? Ooh. And like this enough, she just does not do this book justice. This book was everything. First of all, all these amazing recipes from all the chefs. You know, it's not only Sadie, but um, just, I I love these kinds of things. I, I love when friendship uh, is displayed, especially female friendship. I really loved not only the food and, you know, the reality TV aspect, every book that has reality TV that I've read, I've really, really enjoyed, but, you know, it, it really great, great moments, but also so I really enjoyed how this book displays how sometimes um, women, you know, women, we can be very complicated towards each other. And I love the way that this book displayed that and solved it in a way that was just so great and evolving for everybody. I feel like I grew as a person reading how these characters evolved and solved some of their differences. So this book, I'm telling you, stop what you're doing, you know, go buy it, borrow it. Whatever you must do, listen to it in your car, you know. Um, But this is Sadie on a Plate by Amanda Elliott. And I think Shannon read it and loved it also. This
1: book was so much fun. And this brings us to the end of our food episode. Thank you to Stacy, Natalia, and Brooke for coming up with such great books for tonight. Thanks as always goes out to Christine for all of her editing. And of course we thank each and every one of you for joining us each week as we talk about all the books we love so much. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review,